0: Mike's on He's ready to go On the fan New York Sports Radio Mike's on Mike's on He'll get you the sports any way that he can It's Mike Francis On the fan Sports Radio 66 And 101.9 FM
1: WFAM All right, we come to you this evening on this uh, beautiful June 9th. It was a great summer day today, a hot, sultry, you know, summer day today, a July, August day, a hot, humid day that cooled off a little bit late in the day, but another beautiful day. On this June 9th, brought to you, and we'll be here until 7, by Casamigas Tequila, brought to you by those who drink it as they bring it each and every one of my programs. So we thank the uh, good folks at Casamigas Tequila who are always there, you know. A lot of sponsors aren't there. On this program, this sponsors there all the time in a big way, so we thank them for that uh, each and every day. A um, couple of things here. Number one, and remember, there is such a uh, lack of sports news that when there's sports news, it is probably a little overdone in times of other times it might get a lot less attention, but it's like throwing a bone to somebody and having them gnaw on it because there's so little going on. Uh and I'm talking about the rumors about the Mets. I saw things today that are just utterly I mean, I see a lot of stuff that's ridiculous. There's a lot of stuff written about media that people write they have no idea about. They write about lies, and it's just ridiculous, and stuff they write about, about uh, finances that are just completely ridiculous. But the Mets stuff, nobody's getting the Mets 20 cents on the dollar. I mean, come on now. This is a franchise that's worth billions of dollars. These guys aren't giving this franchise away. They don't have to give this franchise away. Yeah, they might have a revenue shortfall like about every other team, including the New York Yankees. But they're going to come up with the money that they have to come up with and they're not going to give the franchise away. This idea, oh, I'm not even going to embarrass the person who wrote the story and say, oh, the Mets who are in such a spot right now that they may give the team away 20 cents on the dollar. What are you, Crazy. One year's revenues in baseball do not impact the asset that a a, a major league franchise, a big sport franchise in New York is worth. You can't get your hands on these franchises. They come available once every 20 years if you're lucky. And understand this, what you do year to year with these franchises is the secondary phase of this thing. The Wilpons... When this, remember this. When this franchise was first bought, was bought for $20 million, and they had an option on half. When they bought the other half of the franchise, when they bought the other half, and there was a dispute, they had to get an arbitrator to come up with it. They had to come up with, if I remember right, about $250 million for their other half. Maybe it was two hundred and thirty. The point is, this franchise, those dollars, $20 million, when, 21 and change when it was first sold, 230 to $250 million when the deal was to take over the entire franchise. The franchise is now worth somewhere between $2.6 and $2.8 billion. How do you think? What the, how about if I give you an investment? Over the, over the last the next 30 years where you can keep it and you can make 10 times or more on your money. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous what people talk about with this franchise. This franchise is going to cost billions of dollars for somebody to buy. And it should. It's a New York baseball team in an era where franchises are a license to print money and will be again. They're not at this moment. All these teams are going to lose money this year. Every team in sport is going to lose money this year. Sports is going to lose a lot of money. Networks are going to take hits. TV networks, radio networks, broadcast networks, anybody doing deals in any part of sports this year is going to take a hit. You see already, you see people laying off people already. You've seen it in every walk of sports life. You know how much money has been lost in sports already this year? You've shut sports down now for three straight months, down to zero. You shut anything down for three months, you're going to hurt it. They're not going to have fans in their buildings (laughs) this year. Yes, they're going to take a short term hit. Everybody is. But in two years, it'll be gone, it'll be forgotten. And will they sell the team in that time period? Yes, I think they will. Will there be people to buy the team? Yeah, there'll be more than one. After Stevie Cohen, I heard, oh, there won't be anybody else who comes and buys the team. There's been two other significant buyers, and I'm not counting A-Rod and j who, again, need a big person to be part of the deal. You see, the players don't have this. The Wall Street guys have this kind of money. Players don't have this kind of money. We've talked about that before. But the idea that somebody's going to buy the Mets 20 cents on a dollar, come on, it's utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. If you, if, if you were selling that franchise for a, a, a flat $2 billion, you'd have people running to buy it. You're not buying it for that price. You're going to pay more than that for it. And it's worth it. You'll make good, you will do well. The person, who, the person who buys that franchise, and now it's more of, there's a better chance they'll own more than one franchise than just one franchise because that's, that's really the way it works now. You have these groups putting together packages of teams that include soccer teams and include teams in other sports. It's, it's much more that way now than in the past. And there are a couple of leagues which would rather you don't own a whole bunch of teams. But even that's, gone, even that's gone away now. What they want is real big players. That's what they want. They want solvent ownership. And now you're in a world where you're in the new revenue streams that haven't even been tapped yet. Do you know what the sports revenue – do you know what the sports gambling revenue stream is going to produce in sports in the next 10 years Countless billions of dollars, not millions, billions. Once they figure out how to run it, how to really run it and, and bring it to the public, get through all the, all the different things and legislations and different states and how things are done, once they get to bring it into your stadium, and they will, You'll eventually have kiosks in your stadium where you'll be able to bet. I think there'll eventually be a time, and it'll probably only be in the expensive seats early, but eventually it'll be everywhere, where you'll be able to bet during the game. The day's coming. You'll be able to bet a batter at a batter. batter. That day's coming. It's not that far away. In-game betting now is very, very popular and very prevalent. You can do it from home now all the time. You can bet now on a big NFL, a nationally televised NFL game. You can bet on every, every score change, and you can bet on every major commercial break. You can make a major on the game. That could be a different wager than the major, wage you made 20 minutes before. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Not to mention what's going to happen when on your mobile phone where you can just basically stream into any game you want to watch at any time as long as you're willing to pay for it or buy the overall package. It's coming. The revenue streams are boundless. Franchises are going to be very, very coveted. They already are, but they're going to be even more coveted assets than they've been. Right now is a tough time. There's no question. Because these franchises are not built and they are not set up to not have revenue streams in season. They're not set up that way. Payments that they expect to be made haven't been made. Money they expect to be getting hasn't been made. They don't have money coming in on every homestand. They don't have money coming in from uh, all their suppliers and all their all the people they do business with and networks and every, just countless. It's It's an endless stream, but it's the same for everybody. And that will lead to shortfall, and that will lead to revenue crunch on on certain people. Absolutely. But those are short-term, and they are minuscule when you look at them in the totality of what an entire franchise is worth, especially a franchise in Major League Baseball in the city of New York. That is a jewel. Any way you count it, that is a jewel. So nobody's given the Mets away. Now, whether or not the first deal fell through, whether or not Steve Cohn wants to get back in, who knows. Whether or not uh, someone else will make a deal that the Wilpons and both he and the Wilpons can live with, who knows. But it'll happen. It'll eventually happen. And it'll happen at a good price. You know, one thing I want to mention is as we... Uh, People exchange these days things to watch. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but if you haven't, sit down and watch it. And you can even have your wife, your girlfriend, your mother, because if she starts watching it, she'll not only watch it, she'll have the uh, Kleenex out. It's called My All-American. It's written by the same guy who did Rudy. And did Hoosiers. Okay? He The difference is he wrote those. He wrote this one. He wrote those screenplays. He wrote this one. The difference is he directed this one. He didn't direct the first two. Is it a little different? Yes. Is it done a little differently? Yes. But still... It's really well done, and it's a tearjerker, and it is a true story. It's the the story of Freddie Joe Steinmark, who played for the Texas Longhorns. And it's one of these, again, just like Hoosiers is, just like Rudy is, it's an underdog story, an underdog feel-good sports story. Here's a kid who is an overachiever because he's a runt, He's in high school. He's 145 pounds, soaking wet, but he's the best player in the state of Colorado. His whole life he's pushed by a, a father who you know, worked him really hard. They, they want, he wanted to go to Notre Dame. He wanted to be a football player. He's an overachieving player in high school as a running back. Uh, he wins the Golden Helmet Award as Denver Post Player of the Year in the state of Colorado, but does not get a major football scholarship to any school, forget Notre Dame, get one anywhere doesn't even get one to Colorado until what happens is he's got a big kid on his team who becomes his best friend, who ships in from California when he's a junior and plays on his team and they have a really good team as a senior and this kid is being recruited by the, by the University of Texas and the head coach basically has to beg the assistant who comes in to recruit this kid do me a favor, just watch some tape on my other player. So he watches the tape on the other player and says, boy, you know, this guy's energy and his ability. I mean, he's just he's, he's impressive, even though he's, what is he? He's 150 pounds. No, he's not. He's, on four, he's 145 pounds, okay, at the time. Well, Darryl Royal from Texas looks at the tape and likes the kid. So he brings him down for an interview and tells the kid, listen, I'm going to sign both of you. I'm going to ask you to come here and return punts. Well, the kid is playing at 5'9, 155 pounds, and Daryl's going through a tough time. Now, if you know the story of Dal Royal, Dal Royal is a really good quarterback, leads Oklahoma to a national championship, becomes a college coach, finally goes to Texas, wins a national championship in 63, then hits the skids, and is almost fired in Texas. Runs into some lean years. Well, he gets tough with his team before the 68 season, and he also decides they don't spend a lot of time on this, just a little. But as an aside, he has an assistant who he hires, who's a high school coach, who he hires, and he brings in as a defensive coach. The next year he moves the guy to the offensive side of the ball as his offensive coordinator, and the guy has an idea. I have this new offense I want to run. I want to run this new option that basically is a – offshoot of what Bill Yeoman is running at the time at Houston, that's the Veer. The Veer was invented by a guy named Homer Rice and was brought to fame in college by Bill Yeoman at the University of Texas. So he decides, and this becomes known as the triple option or the wishbone. As you know, it becomes a craze in college football. Well, it started at Texas, and then, of course, Bear Bryant saw it. He was going through some hard time. He was just starting to recruit black players. So Bear Bryant shifts to it. Oklahoma shifts to it. And all of a sudden basically most of the countries are running it where they have really good athletes. So but he's running it first. So Texas starts running the wishbone. But at the same time, this little guy, Freddie Joe Steinmark, moves up the ladder to where he becomes only the second player at the history of Texas to start. For Dow Royal on defense ever, the first was Tommy Nobis, who's the greatest player he ever coaches, who becomes one of the great linebackers in the history of sport and in the NFL. Freddie Joe starts as a safety as a sophomore because he's such a fierce hitter and such a hustler and everything else, playing at 155 pounds, 5'9", and he returns kicks. Well, they take off after a little rough patch. Now... He starts as a sophomore. He starts as a junior, and he makes all Southwest Conference. They play Arkansas that year. If you remember in the game of the century, remember Nixon goes to the game. The game is won 15-14 by by Texas, controversial win. Uh, Royal and, and Frank Broyles are very close friends. Off the, off, off the field, they always were. But this was a very tough loss for Arkansas. Big win for Texas. Texas is going to play Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. First time Notre Dame's going to a bowl game in a million years. Um, before the game, the kid's been hurting now for weeks, and he hides the injury from Royal. But he's limping around, and the head coach says to him, Hey, I need you to 100% what's going on. Well, he goes in and he finally says, Coach, I'm hurting. I wanted to get to the Cotton Bowl and get through the Cotton Bowl, but I can't. The Cotton Bowl is in 20-something days after the Arkansas game. They get the leg checked out. He's got cancer. He's got serious bone cancer in his leg. As it turns out, they say to him, we don't even know how you could walk no less play football this year on this leg. They, have to, they put him in the hospital the for tests. The next day they have to amputate the leg to save his life at the hip. The team asks, can he go to the game just because he loved Notre Dame his whole life. Can he just show up at the building? They say absolutely not. He's not allowed out of the hospital for 30 days. So he starts practicing with one leg on crutches so that he could somehow get to the game. This kid's drivers and heart is insane. So, obviously, on one leg, he shows up in the locker room before the game and leads Texas onto the field at the Cotton Bowl. And they have an, you know, the whole team's in tears before the game. They love this kid on the team anyway. They dedicate the game to him. They go out and win the game. After the game, uh, uh, Daryl gives him the, the game ball almost in tears, gives him a game ball. He asked the doctor at the time, Doc, be level with me. How long do people live with this? Most people, they say, don't live a year. He lives a year and a half. So they have dedicated the scoreboard and other artifacts in the stadium To him they rededicated him again a couple of years ago and they had the family there and everything else Um, it's a heart really one of these you know tug at the heartstrings and it's legitimately true story I mean the whole story is a true story they didn't have to exaggerate all this stuff about this guy is true he did do this stuff all happens, he, did, he only lived, he died in 1971, he played in 68 and 69, he died in 71, he died before he could even marry his high school sweetheart who was with him at Texas the whole, all those years, she stayed with him, they were going to get married, right when he, they're about to go exchange their vows, he gets sick and they have to call the wedding off, they never get married, and as a matter of fact, his girlfriend's daughter plays a role in the movie, plays the nurse. The, do- the girlfriend eventually got married, had a daughter. The daughter's actually in the movie because the woman served as a consultant on the movie. So in essence, how it starts is in the beginning of the movie, a female reporter goes up to Dal Royal late in his life and says, Coach, you had 30 All-America players. Which one had the most meaning to you? And he said, Freddie Joe Steinmark, and she said, you don't have an All-American name. She goes, no, but he was my All-American, which is where the title comes from. And then that's the whole thing of the movie. You you see, uh, you know, Royal as a young man, Royal as an old man. Um, Really typical, if you've liked Hoosiers, if you've liked Rudy, and both those obviously became sports classics, this movie, like I said, uh, David Anspar directed those. Angelo, directed. This, who wrote the screenplay for those and wrote the screenplay for this one, actually directed this one. So you might not like the way he shot it as much as the way they shot the other two. You might not like the editing. You might not like the way he directed it as much. But the story is still a wonderful one. I watched it with my wife, and she was hysterical watching the movie. So it's a... Really, one of those, wow, this is unbelievable sports stories, which is true. And you know, now with, and it's on Amazon, now there's such tremendous demand, especially in the time of the virus and everybody being home, but with streaming being such a cutthroat business right now and the need for content so dramatic, they are producing these movies at lightning clips. Right now, as fast as they can possibly churn them out, whether it's uh, Hulu, whether it's uh, Disney, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Netflix, go down the line. Uh, they all are pre- – and there's others too. HBO has a special service now. They're all trying to produce content at incredible rates, and that's good for the viewer. And right now, people are home watching these things at record clips and always looking for something to watch. So check out my All-American uh, again, another one of these classic and true uh, stories. You know, uh, it's funny. When I saw Rudy, and Rudy came in when he was doing his first tour, and Dog and I didn't give him the right time. We were like, ah, I get it. we want to see this movie. It's a true story. And it turned out I've watched the movie a hundred times since then. I told Rudy that years later when he came back in again. The first time, uh, w- w- Nick McCarchick was the one who told us about the movie, The Old Fordham Coach. You got to see this movie. And we're like, ah, sure, we'll see it later. We, both of us, we, we, we could care less. And then all of a sudden, he came to our, uh, uh, to our studio and he wanted to come on the show. And we gave him like five minutes. We were like, yeah, sure, you know. It's funny. I was very close with Arapahast again. I worked with him for years. I, did, I, I, did, I worked football with him for years at CBS, and he and I were very close. And I said to him, "Do you remember Rudy?" And he said, "You know what? When they made this movie, I couldn't remember him." So it shows you how some of it you wonder about. Because Aaron said, "I couldn't even remember I didn't remember him." So just to show you, sometimes you know you, you realize some of that stuff is maybe not as poignant as it's made out to be. But this guy, he was a real player. This guy became All Southwest Conference. He started as a sophomore. The Royal says to him, we wouldn't have won a national championship without you. This guy was a tremendous player for them uh, for two years and probably would have been in All-America as a senior. That's how good a player he was, but at a little bit of a thing. And his dream was to go to Notre Dame and then go to the Chicago Bears. That was his dream as a little runt player. That was his dream. And obviously he didn't get to live out of his dream, although he did get to play and have a major impact in college uh, football. So check it out. Uh, and in Texas, if you ever go there, he is part of the stadium. He is there. As you'll see, if you see the movie, you'll see that Freddie jo- Joe Steinmark is a big part of the Texas history and part of their tradition now on game day and everything else. Back after this. I right, are with you until uh, 7 o'clock, JJ, at that time. You know, sometimes out of a, a crisis comes uh, an idea and then a part of, a, of somebody's future or an entity's future. Here's a perfect example. When the N- NBA finishes this comeback and finishes this playoff, they can't start under normal circumstances. It's impossible. The players are going to revolt. They've already have about that. The end. So this talk will have to back the season up. There was a couple of things: shorten the regular season next year, and then get back on a regular schedule the year after. Or it's come up in the last couple of days, and it has gained a lot of traction. Why don't we stop banging our heads against the NFL and start banging our heads? against baseball. So the the NBA might, instead of opening in October and closing in June, might open on Christmas Day, only have to deal with NFL, one week of regular season NFL, and obviously the heightened part of the season, but one week NFL, and then playoff games, which means in every city It's closing down quickly except in the cities. And you're going to deal with the Super Bowl, of course, but that's fine. You don't worry about that anyway. And then finishing their championship every year in August. What do they care if they finish in June or in August? Makes no difference to them. They finish in the searing heat anyway, but instead of dealing with the NFL, the mighty NFL, Which owns so much of television, draws so much of the TV dollars, and so much of the TV wattage and ratings. Instead of dealing with it for October, some of October, all of November, all of December, all of January into February, how about we start Christmas Day, come out of the box Christmas Day to open the season? And then we play very little against the NFL. And we'll play against a summertime where there's nothing else after us. We'll be in the playoffs where there's just baseball games. There's even time off in July for baseball games, just regular season baseball games. And we'll run our playoffs into August. You know what? If I'm an owner and I'm sitting there, it makes plenty of sense to me. It, it actually is a very smart idea get away from the NFL, get away from that time where it's not just NFL. It's also college football games, the college football playoff, which in the years to come could get bigger and does very well and draws a lot of money away. All that stuff with that, all the stuff that goes on with college football in January, get rid of that too. Just, you know, you're dealing with very little of it. You're not dealing with any more of the regular season. You're not dealing with all the college football of November and whatever goes on in December, all the hype. Instead, you're dealing with a very little part of college football, two weeks, a couple of games. So you get rid of that too. It's, must, it's a much less challenging part of the year. And I think it works. I think it's actually something they, they've talked about now. They haven't dismissed it. They could try it next year, and if it goes as well as they think it does, they could go permanent with it. So next year, I think, look for them to start around Christmas Day. And if the players balk at that, it it couldn't even be New Year's Day or a couple of days later. I don't mean New Year's Day itself. That's obviously college footballs, but I'm talking about right around there but most likely Christmas Day because there's nothing else there. They've always owned Christmas Day. At least have some teams ready to play on Christmas Day, even if the bulkier season doesn't start for three or four more days after that. Have have, Have your showcase teams ready to go on Christmas Day. And then move your season later. You know what? It really does make a lot of sense. And out of a crazy time, you come up with a schedule that works a lot better, and you're fighting against a lot easier schedule. And a lot of times at that time, they're looking for places to put TV sports dollars. Those can go to the NBA, especially the NBA playoffs when there's no way to put them. Instead of all the time, NFL, 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 college playoffs, NFL. Now a lot more goes into the NBA playoffs. seems like a very, very smart idea. We'll come back with your calls after this. All right, we're back. Let's get a couple of calls in before we turn it over to J.J. Scott in Bayville. What's up, Scott?
0: Mike, a friend of mine works for Dan's Paper uh, in Long Island and got me the Rudy autograph.
1: And it
0: goes back to a call that I made to Notre Dame. I'm a Subway alumni. I called Lou Holtz, and his secretary actually had him call me back. Um, This goes back to 1989 or so. What a humble guy. Twenty minutes on the phone. I actually, had to cut him off. I had to go back to work. But he
1: had nothing to do with Rudy uh, uh, Lou Holtz.
0: No, no, no. Rudy, I know, goes back to Dan Devine and so forth.
1: Man, the and whole Arrow, yeah, yeah.
0: thing and the whole beauty behind it, I guess, is here is what happened. Lou Holtz got in trouble for giving away the um, the jersey um, to Ronald Reagan, right? The Gipper jersey. Uh, so there was a little feedback there. And at the same time, I had asked, I had requested. I said, Coach Holtz, can you sit, after talking to him on the phone, can you send me a torn jersey, a practice jersey, anything? Again, Notre Dame Seminole alumni appreciate anything. You're a Notre Dame fan yourself, and he wrote me back a very again a very cordial letter. The letterhead itself. Um, Probably had to cost two dollars for a piece of letterhead. There was eighteen karat gold embossed within the. Uh, the well,
1: in Notre Dame, hey, listen, in Notre Dame, they're a big operation, man. They're Notre Dame, I mean, that's you know, there's only one Notre Dame. Remember, there's only one school, and thanks for the call. There's only one. There's only one entity in professional sports, in any sport, and you want to call Notre Dame professional sports. There's only one team in any walk of life that every one of their games is on national television. It's not the Dallas Cowboys. They have regionalized games. It's not the Boston Celtics. It's not the New York Yankees. The only team that every one of their games is on full national television is Notre Dame. The lowest level that, that they went to ever for their game is ESPN, which at the time was... Cable, but was still considered to be, uh, by, by the time they got to be big they, and were doing play-by-play on that level, was considered national coast-to-coast coverage. They play on ESPN, NBC, or ABC. That's it. That's it. Their home games are on NBC. ABC grabs every one of their, almost every one of their uh, games as a visitor. The other ones go to Notre Dame. So they're the only... Team In any sport, not any in no sport, no team, nobody has that coverage. Remember, in NFL, not every game is seen coast to coast. Now, the closest thing would be the Dallas Cowboys, where I bet you when they do the maps and the map means how much of the country is going to see a given game. There's so many people that want the Dallas Cowboy game. I bet you that if you ask CBS, Dallas Cowboy games never go to less than 60% of the country. It might even be higher than that because there's a, the, the affiliates that don't have a team get to choose what they want. And often they'll choose the Dallas Cowboys. So they're on more than anybody else, but they still are not on to the entire country Every single week. The only team that is, and this has been true forever, and Notre Dame is not what it once was. I mean, they don't have the talent yet. Ga- they've had a talent gap where they are no longer able to get the same players that the rest of the great power schools in the country. Notre Dame probably never could get as good a player day in and day out as the Alabamas of the world, but they could come close. And they could compete with them and the USC's of the world. And there was a time where I'd say USC and Alabama probably had the best talent in the country. You would put Texas right there too. And then all of a sudden the Florida school started to blossom like Florida uh, Florida State especially with Bowden, and then Florida. Uh, and – Obviously now Clemson's on that level, etc. The SEC schools are so powerful now. And Notre Dame's lost a little from that. And they have some uh, academic requirements that make it a little tougher. Plus the appeal of a Catholic school is not as much as it was back 40 years ago. Uh, it's changed a little bit. And also the amount of players coming out of places like Ohio and Western Pennsylvania has changed a little bit too. So from that standpoint, they don't get the same level player. But they still do well. I mean, obviously. Uh, Richard in Connecticut. What's up, Richard? Richard, not there. Okay, Richard uh, is not there. If you want to pop another one up, put it up uh, for me on the uh, on underneath there, and I'll get to the next call as soon as we uh, get it there. I only had two that were listed there, so uh, as soon as I pop one up, I will do it. Um, so I was telling you the movie to check it out, and if you if you have tonight, I'm telling you, I gave you Ozark. I haven't heard anybody complain about that yet as something to watch. Uh, and I absolutely highly recommend this. You know what I'm watching now too? That I started watching. I had never watched, and I loved Edie Falco on the Sopran- on on the, on the Sopranos, she was great. As a matter of fact, she was the only one I thought could actually stay with Gandolfini all the time. Okay, she could actually stay on the same level as Gandolfini in in terms of matching his ability as an actor. And she's won countless Emmys. I mean, she's had three different programs she's won Emmys for now. She's had Nurse Jackie, she's had Oz, and she's had The Sopranos. Uh, nurse Jackie, it is a wicked show, and it is not for everybody. I mean, it's a, she's a, basically a struggling, addicted nurse is what she is. She's a nurse who has a tremendous opiate addiction, and how she runs her family and, and stays able to function. She's a functioning addict. And what she does is, uh, really, it's remarkable. The acting is so good. She's so good. I just started watching it. It's really good. All right, Dylan and Suffering. What's up, Dylan? Hi, um, I have two
0: questions for you. Yeah, uh, go ahead. The first one is, do you think there'll be an MLB season?
1: I still think there will be, but I'll tell you this. You're running out of, you got about a week in about a week, it's going to start to turn to be very doubtful. I still think right now there will be a season, yes. All right.
0: And then also, have you seen um, online the video of you um, taking the cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory?
1: Um, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. Sorry. You know, there's a lot of those animated videos of me. You know, uh, I've never seen me taking the cheese. Sorry about that one. There's a lot of them, though. There's these micamations. There's all kinds of... Listen, that's what happens. You know, when you've been doing this that long, there's a lot of animation of you on inter- on the Internet. I don't watch it. I'm sorry. I'm not the audience for it, and I've never seen it. Sorry. And I've only been in the Cheesecake Factory uh, once in my life. So, uh, and I don't think I ate cheesecake that day when I was there, but I-, I actually was only in one once in my in my life. And that was many years ago uh, when the kids were really small. Ryan in Bronxville. What's up, Ryan.
0: Hey Mike, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I wanted to make a comment on your commentary about the NBA season, but can I just say something about Rudy real quick? Is um that uh I think my favorite part of that movie is just showing the hard work when he goes to the local school and gets the grades to get into Notre Dame when he opens that letter, I think it's just as uh you know, as emotional as when he's getting
1: carried. on. Oh, it's a, on, a great you know. movie. It's a great movie. It really is. And 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 John Favreau, who's gone on to have a great career. I mean, uh, you know, as a director, uh, he's become a big player. I mean, he really has. Uh, and he, you know, it, the movie is is wonderful. It really is. It, 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 and listen, did they stretch things a little bit? Yeah, So what? I mean, they took a little license. So you know what? It made for a good movie. This, I gather. What I could find out about Freddie Joe Steinmark is this is pretty much how it happened. It was really not much of a stretch, from what I understand. And he was a really good player. He wasn't all Southwest con wasn't all America, but he was an all Southwest conference player and he started as a sophomore. And at Texas, starting as a sophomore was unheard of. Texas had started the year with two hundred players, ran a hundred off and had a hundred players. Being a sophomore starter there was virtually impossible. Okay, And he was a sophomore starter as a little bit of a runt at safety. Uh, John and Hazlitt, what's up, John? Hey,
0: Mike. hey, Mike, how are you doing? Good, what's so, happening? Um, just, just something, a little idea that might throw a wrench in the works for a later NBA season. Going Go ahead. In August. A lot of these guys have kids, school-age kids. Summer's the time for them to no traveling, no practices, no games, to, take, to do something with their families. I, I wonder if there would be any pushback.
1: I don't think yeah. so. I don't think, I, I hate to tell you, I don't think that'll be a consideration. You know what? Yeah. The, they'll worry about that. They'll be home when they're in school, going to school in September. You know what? Uh, they'll be finished probably by early August anyway. They'll still have August yeah. into September. I don't think that will be it. I'll tell you, the I, I can't find a drawback for it. It makes plenty of sense to get them away from the NFL. Uh, really makes a lot of sense and have them maybe, open on Christmas maybe Day. Early it, it would be, yeah. yeah, it would be early August. It would. And I tell you, getting them away from Christmas Day really works. Uh, you have them over by August 10th or so. And I tell you, I, it sounds, sounds really smart to me. It really does. It makes plenty of sense. And I don't see a lot of drawbacks in it. Now, change comes hard in these leagues. It really does because people get entrenched. But let's be honest, for a lot of fans, They don't watch the NBA if they watch it at all until football's over. And for others, the first time they watch it, and thanks for the call, is Christmas Day for a lot of them. Even though it starts in October, the first time they really watch it, not for the diehards. The diehards are going to watch that sport. Listen, the diehards are going to watch their sport always. You're not talking about cultivating the diehards when you're talking about these national sports. You're talking about the marginal, peripheral viewer. Your diehard is there. Your diehard is there in every sport. You don't worry about him. You don't have to. You can't run him off. He's there. You're worried about the other people. Eli in uh, Long Island. What's up, Eli? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. What's Uh, up?
0: Two two, two questions. Uh, The first, uh, regarding the NBA extended season, I mean, the players are going to have to vote on that, and you're just destroying their whole summer vacation. And number two is... What's your well,
1: wait a second. Why, why, why? They'll, they'll still have... September. What's the difference? They'll, they'll have September and October and November off. What's the difference?
0: But they're, they're, the weather's getting
1: worse. Uh, listen, they live all over the country, though. I, I don't think that's an issue. I, I, don't, I don't see that as an issue. I really don't.
0: Uh, I mean, they still, they still have to vote on
1: it. Well, I, I agree. They do have to vote on it, absolutely. Uh,
0: what's, what's your opinion on the Sopranos ending uh, without ruining really too much of it?
1: What's my what?
0: Opinion on the Sopranos ending?
1: You mean for what? What are you talking about? The, the movie or the blackout, old one? The,
0: the blackout. The Sopranos. The, the Tony. The blacked out at the end.
1: Are you talking oh. about? Are you talking about when the show ended itself? You want to change the? Correct. Uh, Correct. Uh, what is your opinion? I, what do you think happened? I don't. You know what? I, I I never really gave it that much thought. To be honest with you, I, I you know I know the idea was. And thanks for the call. The idea was to leave it so that it was up to you to think about did they go off together? Did they, did they finally remember the doors were closing in on Tony? Did he go witness protection? Did he go, which I don't think Tony would have done. Did he and the family just take off? Did Malfi come in there and kill him? did the guy at the bar, the guy at the, at the counter, was he a hitman, and he was going to knock him off. I mean, so you can basically, was it over that night? Was that going to be where he was going to get it? I mean, that was why they decided we're going to give you, if you know the show, we are going to give you, in these last scenes, four or five things that can possibly happen Let you decide which one you want. To end the show, and frankly, that's how I took it: is that they decided we'll let you guys have, you know, the ability to draw your own conclusion on where you think Tony went. You know, could Tony go? Would Tony go witness protection? I said, I don not say, I didn't see Tony going witness protection. I think he had a little more tougher edge to him than, than that. I didn't see him doing that. But at the end with Carmelo. Right there, worrying about them, worrying about his kids. Who knows, maybe he would. Because he had a soft side and he had a real tough, edgy side. So that was what made him an interesting character. Steven Secaucus, what's up, Steve? Hey, Mike, thanks for taking
0: my call. Yeah. I think I was 13 years old and I was clutching my transistor radio. And it was Eric Parsigan's Notre Dame team versus uh, Duffy Doherty's Michigan State team. Right. That 10 10 tie. What a game that was. Mike, They you considered one of the best? college games in his oh
1: by far, I mean, and, and one where now listen i 'm pro ara but uh, and he you got killed. no, I did not know him then, but I had discussed the game with him many things so I said that game bothered him because he got ripped for, and people thought he played for the tie, and he was like, "I played for the tie. I was down to backup players. In uh, throughout my, uh, my, my, st- I had nobody healthy in my entire starting backfield and Michigan State. Basically, he waited for me to try and make a move. He says, I didn't have anybody left in the game. I couldn't make a move. He says right. against that defense, he said, I couldn't I have anybody healthy. I was, my My backs were out. I had nobody left. He said, otherwise I would have. He says, if I could have made a move, I would have made I would have been handed in the game. So that bothered him. I could tell, you know, because uh, I discussed that with him. And he felt that the media was unfair about that, that he took the brunt of it, where he thought Duffy really, you know, because Duffy had a little more of the defensive team that people were like, oh, it had to be Aaron made the move, but Aaron was like, go back and look. I had guys injured everywhere. That game was so physical. Michigan State had so many great defenders. They beat the heck out of us. That game was so physical. I had no healthy players left at the end of the game. And that right. was that was the point he made to me about it. And you know what? Um, if you go back and watch that game, there's a lot of fascinating twists and turns, and maybe one day, because I went back and watched the game with him and went over the second half with him, and he explained so And I also went back once, and maybe one day I'll talk about this, watched the crazy game, the, the game when Anthony Davis scored the six touchdowns I went back over that game with him and sat and watched it with him and went over that game with him. And he told me some stuff about it that I've never even told anybody. Uh, so uh, maybe one of these days, you know, we could talk about those games because I spent a lot of years working football with him. Uh, he and Brent were the play-by-play and the analyst and I would travel with them. And then he came in the studio and Pat Hayden went out to do the games and I spent about four or five more years in the studio with him and Jim Nance uh, every week. So he and I became very close. So uh, we used to talk a lot of football because he'd come into town on Thursday night or Friday morning, and we'd have a couple of days where we would just uh, prepare to do the football show and talk a lot. So, uh, you know, we went over a lot of stuff through the years. Great football mind. You know what he told me? The finest football coach of all time. Hands down, and remember, he was one of the greatest football minds of all time. He ran 95 plays, which is the highest number ever run for a college team in history in one year. Uh, had the most efficient offense of all time. Uh, was 95-17 and 17 at Notre Dame, winning three national championships. He said the greatest coach of all time, the man he learned more football from than anybody ever, was Paul Brown. And he played for Paul Brown. And he said Paul Brown was the greatest Football mind that ever lived. And a lot of people, Belichick says that. A lot of people say it. Ara played for him. And Ara said, he. I learned more from Paul Brown than I. And Ara was coached by Woody Hayes. He said that Paul Brown was the gr- most gifted football mind of all time. We'll see you tomorrow. Casamigos Tequila, brought to you by those who drink it, of always there for us and sponsors the program. JJ's next. Enjoy your evening, everybody.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports
1: clock at four Doncic. the step back three you bet music you set my world on fire. Yes, oh.
0: and even podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on tune in go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening